0: Good morning. Praise the Lord. Well, today is a special day. We're going to begin by honoring and thinking about and doing a uh, prayer over those that are going back to school. I know some school systems have already begun, uh, but this is the Sunday that we're going to recognize the teachers and teacher's aides that are among us. And we're also going to pray over them, and we're going to pray for the kids, even though we're not going to bring all the kids up here. We're going to have a special prayer for the kids for protection, for guidance as they go into a new school year. How many of you know that prayer changes things? Amen? Amen. So at this time, I'm going to ask my wife if she would do the honors of inviting those that are uh, here this morning. We're just going to ask that you come up here and stand uh, facing the congregation. We'd like to... uh, present you with something and pray over you this morning. I have four of you. I have Stacy Conley. <laughs> I have Flora Shue. Then I have two teacher's aides in here that someone let me know of. It's Lisa Caruso and Jackie Parr if you're here. Let's give them a round of applause. Amen. We appreciate them. So we at Promise of Victory believe that uh, not only does prayer change things, but prayer protects things and gives a shield and a covering. And I believe that God puts us, as a matter of fact, Acts 17 tells us that God puts us where he wants us. It says that he sets the habitation of our being, which means we end up where he wants us to be. Yes, we make choices, and like Jonah, we can go the opposite direction of his desire, but ultimately where we are is because that's where he wants us to be. And I believe that God can work through these vessels where God plants them, amen, to touch young lives and to shape and mold young souls and lead them in the right way. And while they may never be able to teach a Sunday school class in the middle of a public school system, their light will shine in dark places, amen? so as we get ready to pray over them I want you to also remember the school children as they go forward that they're going to because every year there's some kind of a tragic event that seems to undermine the intent of what uh, good people want to do because there's always a bright light shining on the terrible things and and the good and the decent things are always kind of hidden under a bushel but I, I want to pray not only protection, but I want to pray for a move among young people that the Holy Ghost will get a hold of people and change lives in this generation. Amen? So, Promise of Victory family, would you stretch your hands forward this morning and let's, uh, let's pray over them. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we come to you this morning and we, we touch and agree and we lay hands and we ask this morning, oh God, that you would please move in a mighty, mighty way. That these vessels that are standing here this morning, Lord, that their lives will impact small uh, lives, that that they'll impact uh, fellow teachers and employees, that, God, they're going to have a light that is going to shine in a dark place. That the Holy Ghost will order their steps and cause them to prosper in everything that they do. That the words of their lips will be anointed. That their spirit will be contrite and powerful. And that they will be in tune with you, Lord. When you want them to say something, they'll be able to say it with not only with boldness but with wisdom. And God we pray for the children as they all go back to school we pray protection upon them we pray God that you would help them to engage uh, one another with kindness and with uh, civility that they will uh, learn how to honor those uh, uh, over them and God that the school year will be productive and give the naysayers nothing to talk about Lord that, that you will hide the negative this season and accentuate the the positives and cause a bright Holy Ghost movement to happen and sweep the land beginning with young people, Lord, and let these vessels be that which you pour into your essence and pour it out on this generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, ladies. We appreciate you. Amen and amen and amen. So I say praise the Lord So welcome to week four of our series that I have called Trapped If there was ever a series, because I've already uh, gotten the last installment, which will be next week if, if there was ever a sermon that I need to preach to myself, it's the sermon next week Which means this sermon must be directly at you and if this one's not for you, it's for the person you're sitting next to, okay? You probably need this sermon. So this morning we're going to look at a condition that is more serious than we think it is. As a matter of fact, we're going to look this morning at a situation and a condition of the soul that is so common that most of the time we won't admit that it's, it's wrong. We won't even admit that we're afflicted with it and we it is found so deep inside the church that you can't tell the difference between those that are inside from those outside as a matter of fact we're going to start today with a couple of believers who are separated by what I have called bad blood so this morning we're going to preach a sermon talking about trapped by bad blood now let's look at our definition we've done this every week what is the definition of trapped trapped means to catch an animal in a trap to prevent someone from escaping a place and I've been specifically looking at this third definition have something typically a part of the body held tightly by something so that it cannot move or be free and all of us are trapped by something which means you don't have freedom of movement this morning we're going to look at why you don't have freedom of movement inside your relationships This is not going to apply to every relationship thank God you don't have bad blood with everybody but bad blood is a very real condition of the soul and unless we learn how to properly take care of it and get rid of it as a matter of fact I'm going to call it this morning a disease and I'm not a doctor but I play one in this pulpit so we're going to look at it this morning as if bad blood is a disease and we're going to take care of it somehow way, and eradicate it through the power of the Word and the Holy Ghost this morning so I'm going to begin in a book that most of you have never read even though it's one of the shortest books in all of your Bible it's a book called Philemon it's in the New Testament it's near the back if you take if you find revelation hang a left there's a series of small little books back there this is one of them in the book of Philemon Paul is an old man in prison and he is writing this letter to a friend of his named Philemon history tells us that he was like a son to Paul it is believed that he was probably saved under Paul's ministry one of Paul's preaching crusades that he had done so we begin with Philemon I would say chapter one, but there's only one. So we'll start at Philemon, verse four. Paul said, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, pay attention, for all of God's people. Stop right there. He said, I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus. And how you love everybody can I stop right there I could preach an entire sermon on that one statement because one is intricately tied to the other if you have faith in the Lord Jesus my amen committee already resigned this morning I understand if you have faith in the Lord Jesus you cannot claim it if you don't love right if you don't love the creation you cannot rightfully say you love the Creator I can take you and show you scripture after scripture that says you have to love others if you claim to love Jesus and we're in a dangerous situation in the world today where the the bad blood has become so prevalent that we have gotten to the attitude that Lord I love you but I don't like this group I don't like that group if this person subscribes to that ideology I don't want to have anything to do with them can I tell you you don't have that right if you have faith in Jesus Christ you have been bought with a price you are not your own he paid his blood not only for you but for those that you have bad blood against listen to what Philemon continues to hear from Paul verse 6 and I am praying that you will put into action The generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ your love has given me much joy and comfort my brother for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people that is why I am boldly asking a favor of you I could demand it in the name of Christ that's what I just did to you I'm demanding you treat people right in the name of Christ that's what Paul said. He said I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing to do but because of our love I prefer simply to ask you consider this as a request from me Paul an old man and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus I became his father in the faith While here in prison, Onesimus hasn't been much use to you in the past. What? Onesimus has not been much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. Let me stop and give you some background. Onesimus was a slave on the run he had escaped from philemon philemon was his master onesimus had robbed philemon and stolen goods from him as he ran away and he fled to rome because rome was so big a runaway slave could easily hide there and by god's direct providence this runaway slave ran into paul while paul was in prison And he became a Christian, and he dedicated his life to the Lord. And now the apostle is in a sticky situation because he is the spiritual father both of the slave and the master. He is the spiritual mentor of both the runaway and the one who is holding a grudge. He has influence in the life of both parties who now have bad blood between them. And it is believed that not only did he run away, but when he ran away, he stole something. This is how bad blood develops between people. Paul is giving us an example of how to deal with this spiritual problem, this spiritual disease, bad blood. Let's pick it back up in verse 13. Paul said, I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you are willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a while so that you could have him back forever he is no longer like a slave to you he is more than a slave for he is a beloved brother especially to me now he will mean much more to you both as a man and a brother in the Lord verse 17 so if you consider me your partner welcome him with all the bad blood as you would welcome me this is a common story Throw out the, the slavery, throw out the, the, the heinous acts of, uh, of, of what used to be accepted. Throw those things out and let's just deal with the relationship. This is a common story. Two people have fallen out with each other. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is serious. Most of the things we fall out about aren't nearly this important. Usually what we fall out about are small, minute matters. It could be something like a slight. Somebody forgot your birthday. Somebody didn't help you when they told you they would help you. Somebody lied about you. Somebody left you out when they went and did something else. Maybe somebody did you wrong. And all of a sudden, you don't even realize you've been afflicted with this disease called bad blood but you start thinking about that person in ways that you did not used to think about them I know you quiet but I also know you know what I'm talking about how you used to think about them in one manner but now your thoughts about them have changed and it wasn't anything important and it wasn't a big deal it was a small thing that caused you to become sick and the sickness is called bad blood So this is a deadly disease that needs to be recognized, dealt with, and cured before it brings irreparable danger into our lives. And because it's so common, we don't see how dangerous it is because you've been doing it your whole life. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. You've been doing this your entire life, and not only is it common... Here's the the real danger. I'm going to give you the first point right now, and we're going to build on it the rest of the time. We almost always blame the other person for a condition that is killing us. You have the antidote, but you don't use it because you think they're the problem. You're carrying the disease, and the cure but you don't cure yourself physician heal thyself you don't cure yourself because you're holding them responsible for making you sick somebody ought to say praise the Lord right there and one reason you ought to say praise the Lord is because it gets tougher from here so this morning I want to do what any good doctor would do I'm not a doctor but I'm gonna play one in this pulpit and I want to do three things I want to use the symptoms to identify the disease, and then I want to formulate a cure. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, so let's talk about the disease of bad blood. The first thing a doctor uses to determine your ailment is to examine your symptoms. So if I'm going to determine what causes bad blood, let's talk about the symptom. Now, you would look at me and say, Pastor, they did me wrong. That's not the symptom pastor they lied about me that's not the symptom pastor they didn't treat my kids right that's not the symptom pastor they wrecked my car and didn't pay for it that's not the symptom there's one symptom to bad blood and that symptom encapsulates everything I just said and more the symptom is strife strife people aren't all like you If everybody was like you, there would be no strife. Actually, that's not true because some of you couldn't even get along with yourselves. But the reason there is strife in the world is because we have different temperaments. We think differently. We approach things different ways. And too often, if people aren't just like us, if they don't share our opinion on every single issue, then we get at odds with them. It's an issue called strife. But the thing is, just because they don't see things the way I see them does not make me right and them wrong. I'm going to be preaching to people this morning who want to grow. If you're interested in staying angry and upset and disjointed, go ahead and check out now, take a nap, maybe play some tic-tac-toe on your phone. But I'm gonna be talking to mature people this morning or people who are striving to become mature. Because I'm gonna tell you something, in 2021 and going forward, it's gonna take maturity to get along hello it takes maturity to not make a big problem out of small issues it takes a mature person to avoid becoming confrontational and offended these days if we're going to escape the traps that the enemy has set for us we're going to have to learn how to do a few things like swallow our pride learn how to walk away without arguing about everything even when you think you are right can I tell you something and this is not sermon material this is just advice the older I have gotten I have learned a lesson about being right being rights overrated because you can be right and be miserable for the sake of peace we're going to have to learn how to give up the right to be right I've gotten to the point in my existence now if you want to tell me the sky is green God bless you God bless you and you, green sky. I'm going on and minding my own business. Only a fool going to stand there and argue with somebody who's a bigger fool than you and lower yourself to their level. God bless you and you, green sky. I'm not being miserable for your sake. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, blessed are the people who are right. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's not what he said. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. He never said a word about you being right and getting blessed. He said you're going to be blessed when you give up the right to be right. And listen to me, I'm not going to talk to you about being fair because life is not fair. A fair is what they hold in the county and it's got a Ferris wheel. Life is not fair. So what about it, Pastor? Life wasn't fair to me. Listen, when you are mature, you realize life is not fair and you don't fight for fair. Mature people don't react the way children do. Oh, we're just quiet in this mortuary this morning. See, children react on impulse. Mature people act through a plan. So I know that if you have control over my anger, I have a problem, it's not you. Children get upset when they hear things they don't like or somebody does them wrong because children are immature, but when we grow up, we're supposed to put away childish things. Let me tell you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Oh, no, no, no. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. And what what does Paul use to diagnose their fleshliness? what do, is it cause they're out smoking cigarettes is it cause they're getting tattoos and piercings is it because uh, that they, they, they did something uh, last week and, and 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 lost their temper no here's what Paul said this is the definition of fleshliness he said for while there is jealousy and strife among you are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way for when one says oh Hear me I follow Paul Another says I follow Apollos He says aren't you just being human? Who's Apollos anyway? And what is Paul? Servants whom you have believed So Does that not sound like the church today? I follow the Baptist I follow the church of Christ Oh, you don't like that I follow the Democrats I follow the Republicans oh you don't like that I follow CNN I follow Fox no you're both wrong I follow the underground the real new yeah Paul says who are all these people anyway you're allowing them to cause strife and division amongst you you're supposed to be better than that but because you are carnal and acting like children you can't receive Oh, you're receiving all the news you're receiving all the latest uh, developments but what you're not receiving is the meat of the Word of God because you're too immature this is tough stuff pastor I understand that because it boils down to not giving the enemy a foothold to destroy your witness through strife if you're going to live in peace You're going to have to work for it. I wrote this down. You're going to have to aggressively pursue peace. It's not just going to fall in your lap because you got saved. You're going to have to strive to treat people good. The later this world gets, if I read my Bible right, it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to be harder and harder to live at peace with folks. Romans chapter 12 verse 16 live in harmony with each other and don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all stop right there some of y'all ought to just take a picture of that verse and put it on your phone it would do you well to memorize this first don't think you know it all she can't get mad at me this is apostle Paul said this never pay back evil with more evil Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with who? Who? All. Notice it does not say that everybody's supposed to adapt and adjust to us. Change their mind to agree with us. What it says is, I have to be willing to keep the peace even with knuckleheads. Folks can be as wrong as two left shoes and I got to be willing to keep the peace with them Proverbs has a lot to say about this but I'm only gonna point out three Proverbs 20 and 3 avoiding a fight is a mark of honor only fools insist on getting on Facebook and picking fights with invisible people I don't want to be a fool I don't want you to be one Proverbs 15 and 18, a hot tempered man stirs up, there's that word again, there's that symptom, stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Proverbs 18 and 6, a fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth invites a beating. Now I am not. Advocating violence per se. But the Bible did say that a fool's lips brings strife and invites somebody to punch him between his teeth. So unless you want to never mind, I got it's another sermon for another time. I gotta move. Do you know a lot of people that are divorced today aren't divorced because of moral failure? It wasn't because somebody had an affair. It wasn't because somebody was a gambler or a drunk or beat the kids. It was because they allowed strife to come in. And in these little petty areas, they refused to let go. Oh, it got quiet again. Because when you don't deal with feelings, when you don't walk in love, when you refuse to let things go, when you won't cover up another person's weaknesses, over time, it builds up until it becomes broken. So they go and they get into another relationship after the divorce, but the problem with that is if you don't ever learn how to deal with strife, that same thing's going to show up in the other house because it'll follow you wherever you go. So let me help you this morning. If you're going to avoid bad blood in a world of strife, you're going to you're gonna have to learn how to be a peacemaker. You're going to have to learn how to be the bigger person. You're going to have to learn how to take the high road. You're going to have to learn how to treat people with respect that does not return respect to you. Oh, go ahead and get sideways with me. I ain't scared of none of you. Oh, respect is earned, Pastor. And they haven't returned. Listen to me. The Bible doesn't say you have the right to pick and choose who to honor. And who. I'll get to that in a minute. And who to show respect to. The Bible says if you're going to belong to me, you're going to do it the right way. I don't give caveats. I don't give hall passes so you can do whatever you want to do. It's all about giving yourself up for the one who gave himself up for you. Uh, we love to talk about sacrificing for Jesus until it means we got to treat folks good we love talking about how I gave it all away we sing songs we don't believe we pray prayers we have no intention of keeping because we love talking about how much we sacrifice for the Lord when all it means is writing a check when all it means is showing up at church But when that person does something that you don't like and they keep doing it and keep doing it and your sacrifice is becoming a living sacrifice, which means they are bringing you over to the altar, strapping your wiggling body down and killing you over and over and over. You say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm done, I check out. You don't have the option. Listen, you're going to have to learn to refuse to become offended because the Bible says that in the last days, offense is surely going to come. You're going to face offense. You have to refuse to be offended. Huh? You want to know how to do it? You're going to have to learn how to humble yourself. Who do you think you are anyway? You think you're going to live this whole existence and nobody offend you? Tell that Christ Jesus who did nothing to nobody but was offended all the way to death. Humble yourself. Stop being argumentative. Learn two rules and it'll help pacify you and keep you Christ-like in your dealings. Number one you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. And number two you don't ever supposed to start one. Stop being argumentative. And last but not least don't demand to have your way. Other people think differently of you than you. I know you think everybody should think like me. Good luck with that. I raised three kids. None of them thinks like me. And none of the three thinks the same as each other. They all grew up in the same house, same parents, but they're not the same children. When we let our guard down and say things that are hurtful, disrespectful, and demeaning, it's not only hurting the other person and damaging the relationship, it is opening the door for strife to come in. That's why Paul said, give no place to the enemy. Because strife can't just come in whenever it wants to. You have to allow it access. Oh, I know, the reason y'all don't like me preaching this is because y'all been blaming the strife on the people that, that are out there or the one you're married to or the one you work for or the one that's preaching at you. You've been blaming them for your strife. But, but the Bible doesn't give them permission to speak strife into your life. The Bible says if you've allowed strife in, it's because you opened the door and allowed it access to you. That's why Paul says don't give any place to the enemy. And this year and a half that we have just came through has been the most hateful, mean-spirited that I have ever seen. I've watched Christian people just crumble under the pressure that they have been up under. I understand it's been hard. It's been hard on pastors. Pastors have quit. Pastors have died. Pastors have had uh, 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 failures. They have had mental breakdowns. I understand this season has been rough on everybody. But you never have a card to become hateful and spiteful and mean and hold grudges against each other. I have watched over vaccines and political parties, lifelong friends stop speaking to each other. Family members who won't accept other people's phone calls over a vaccine, over a mask. It's ridiculous, and it's improper if you claim to be a Christian. It's not Christ-like. Listen to what Psalm 133 says in verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is, i got to take my jacket off. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell, say that word, together in... What's that word? Uh, Hold on to that word because verse 2 says it's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down the edge of his garments. And verse 3 says it's like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. For there, The Lord commanded a blessing, life forevermore. Do you see what I see? There. Say there. That means wherever unity is, God commands a blessing to that spot. Some of y'all wondering why your marriage is in such shambles because you're not unified. Some of you wonder why work is so hard because you're not unified. Some of you wondering why your family is always disjointed and upset and you feel like you don't even want to show up at the family reunion. It's because where unity is, there is a blessing commanded to that place, but wherever there's discord, there's a curse. A commanded blessing follows unity. Why do you think the devil's always fighting it so hard? James chapter 3 and verse 16 for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition there you will find disorder and evil of every kind evil of every kind Am I reading that right Look what it says wherever there's jealousy and Selfish ambition. Those aren't the only two problems you have. Disorder and evil of every kind is the same place where strife is. Have you ever noticed how you can get up on a, in a bad mood and that day just gets worse? Oh, I'm the only one? Hey, let's just say a Sunday. You ever notice how you can be in a bad mood on Sunday not really a reason you know you're just irritated because people anybody know what I'm talking about you know you're just grouchy because feelings you ever notice that when you get snippy and short-tempered that that's not a self-correcting problem you ever notice that when you don't treat people with kindness you just start having one of those days and it just builds and builds and builds have you ever noticed that when you have one of those days it just gets worse as you go along you know the kid shows up in the car and you realize that on the way to church that one of the kids got bubblegum in her hair the other one's got two different shoes on their feet oh and now the car don't have no gas so you got to stop and get some which means you're late for church and when you show up at the church, the parking lot's full, so you've got to park down the street, which means you've got to get the kids out of the car, help them onto the sidewalk. And then all of a sudden you realize that not only do they have two different shoes on, one of the shoes that they're wearing is your shoe. So that shoe was falling off, and so now the kid can't walk, so you've got to carry the kid all the way down, however many blocks it is to the building. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you open the door for strife, it brings all this other stuff with it. See, when you woke up with strife in your lips, when you woke up with strife in your heart, when you were not treating people in kindness, when you were being upset and irritated at the world, when when you open the door to strife, it brings all of these other issues with it. You open your life up to unnecessary trouble. So we will face disappointments and setbacks and conflicts that we did not supposed to encounter because those things weren't on God's schedule for you, but you invited it in because of strife. You ever notice that when you start going to church and you start finding the flaws in folks? Because when you first get saved, you think everybody's perfect and then when you're around for a while you start finding their flaws have you ever noticed that when once you start searching for flaws you see them everywhere oh it is quiet in here Nudge your neighbor say it's okay to say amen Do you know what I'm talking about once you start discovering flaws in your husband that man of your dreams just turned into the biggest pileup he was Prince Charming and now you are not sure what he is because once you start looking for something to complain about you're going to find it in abundance so so it wasn't on God's schedule for you to to encounter all of these problems but you invited it in and the Bible says that one can chase a thousand let me show you heaven's math for a moment Where did it say that the commanded blessing shows up in unity Where does the commanded blessing show up? Unity. You know what the Bible says? That one can chase a thousand. This is heaven's math. Heaven's math is not common core. Heaven's math doesn't make sense at all because the Bible says one can chase a thousand, but get two together and two can chase ten thousand. Let me show you what heaven's math does. There's a commanded blessing that shows up in unity. And that commanded blessing has a ten times multiplication factor, which means that whatever devil you fight by yourself, you can chase ten times as many if you can get somebody to unify and agree with you. And this is why the devil hates unity so bad. See, it's easy for you to be good to people that are good to you. It takes zero faith to be kind and show favor to people that are kind back. What about folks that do you wrong? When they talk down to you, talk bad about you, when they're not honest to you, when they lie about you, when they walk out of your relationship, the last thing you think about is being good to them because why? They don't deserve it. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. You're already mad at me. Let me go in. If I'm in for a dime, I'm in for a dollar. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. You can stop right there if you're not willing to listen. You can check yourself out of the conversation if you're not willing to listen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. One test that you will all have to pass is being good to folk who've not been good to you. When bad blood has developed between you and somebody else and you feel like you've got all the justification in the world to treat them the way that you have been treated, hear this preacher this morning, that is a trap. That will trap you in bad blood, and I'm going to show you in a minute what it will do to you because it does nothing to them. You holding the grudge against them hurts them none, but it kills you. When it says for us to pray for those who did us wrong, mm-hmm. did you see that? Did you say, see that it said pray for those who do you wrong? That does not mean that you pray for an air conditioner to fall out the window and hit them in the head. It doesn't mean that you pray for their brakes to go out while they're traveling downhill. That's not the prayer it's talking about. It's talking about praying for people that you don't believe deserve blessings. Because you're not praying it for their sakes. You're praying it to get yourself out of the trap. Without you being able to show them kindness that they don't deserve, you're the one that gets stuck in the trap. And hear this preacher. It limits how high God can take you. It hurts them none. They're sleeping tonight. Go ahead and hold that grudge. Go ahead and be spiteful. Go ahead and be uh, hateful. Go ahead and spread rumors about them. They're going to sleep tonight, but God is holding you back, not because he doesn't want to favor you, but because you put yourself in a trap, and God's not able to do with you what he wants to do with you because you got yourself stuck. And that, preacher, is good preaching. Now, don't be surprised don't be surprised if somebody did you wrong that you don't get an opportunity to be a blessing to them it's called a test and and hear me they did you wrong and you can take this opportunity to teach them a lesson but can I tell you that the test was not for them to learn the lesson it was for you so when you can bless people that have done you wrong and you show God that you're not bitter and you're not vindictive and you're not holding a grudge, then you are ready for a promotion. And what they did to you can't hold you back. But what you do to you can limit you. I've had preachers lie on me I've had entire churches lie on our church I've had people uh, make up things and just fantasy stuff stuff I wasn't even in town when they were accusing me of doing stuff and I had the right to stand up and to defend myself but I learned a long time ago that if I will just pray and let God be my defense and my shield then I don't have to defend myself because the truth will come to light let God be true and every man be a liar and I've learned a long time ago I don't have to fight for right I just got to stay out the trap Romans chapter 12 and verse 20 says instead if your enemy is hungry feed them not arsenic if they're thirsty give them something to drink not rat poison in doing this you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads when, when, when you read the King James Bible and it says you'll heap burning coals of, of fire on their head, some of y'all read that and you're like, thank you, Jesus. I know what I'm doing now. I'm praying for that joker because the Bible says hot coal is going to fall down on their head. That's why I use this translation. Because <laughs> that's not what the Bible means. You'll put burning coals of shame on their head You know what that means? In the Bible days when this Scripture was written, hot coals would be kept In a pan and it was essential for Survival. Not only did you need hot coals To cook, but in the winter time in Israel uh, You would freeze to death if you didn't Have hot coals. So they would put They didn't have fireplaces. They put them on pans And when they ran out of Coal, they would have to go and ask A neighbor and they would put the pan On their head and go from house to house And they would ask neighbors for Handouts for coal to keep them from dying and of course a good friendly neighbor that don't have bad blood of course they're going to supply their need but what Paul's asking here is will you do it even when they haven't treated you right what the scripture is teaching us here is that if you do this Jesus said Paul said if you do this you are going to be giving them something they don't deserve and you're staying out of the trap so, man, it's quiet in here. Paul said, pay kindness to your enemies instead of trying to hurt them. Don't allow their mean or their sinful acts to control you. Make a decision to choose peace as your response. Don't try to get back at somebody, overwhelm them with kindness, not because they deserve it, but because you refuse to get in the trap let me show you how dangerous this is if you don't learn this lesson now you'll realize too late that you've lost your greatest opportunities to be blessed and promoted by God there was a man in your Bible named David David had some weird talents one was heart playing, and the Bible says he was sent to the king the king's name was Saul and he was sent to the king to be a blessing but over time, David became a warrior and started killing a lot of people. And the young ladies liked David more than they liked King Saul. And as David would come back from battle, they sang the praises and said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. And Saul got jealous. Do you remember what the Scripture says? Where strife and jealousy show up? Where where, uh, self, uh, if we're trying to take care of ourselves, selfish ambition and jealousy show up, everything, all other evil comes with it. Do you remember that? So Saul had a blessing, but he tried to kill it because jealousy will cause you to assassinate your blessing. But here's the thing and the difference between David and Saul nowhere in your Bible will you ever read where David tried to get Saul back Saul tried 17 times that we know of to kill David and no time at no point will you ever read where David tried to kill Saul as a matter of fact I'll teach you in a moment David did something called honor in the, in the face of danger and being mistreated David chose to honor saw I've known church members that couldn't let something go somebody offended them and they could not let something go you know what that is That's selfish ambition that's thinking that you are never supposed to have somebody treat you some way you don't appreciate and if you can't let it go I have watched people have to quit church because they can not attend church with somebody who upset them running away from church Because somebody did you wrong. If Jesus had that attitude, we'd all be lost. Because we all did him wrong, but instead of running away, he ran toward us. That's selfish ambition. When you invite selfish ambition in, all these other evil things comes with it. I've known pastors who got so jealous because their church wasn't growing and another church was growing that they would start talking about the other church, start talking about the staff, start running down the leaders in that church because they had jealousy over something that they perceived was a slight. And you can't allow jealousy to exist without welcoming in all this other evil. So if the symptom is strife, What's the disease, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. The disease is lack of honor. So strife causes me to feel some kind of way about you. And before too long, I forget who you are. I forget how I'm supposed to treat you. Because I've allowed this strife, this... This jealousy, I've allowed all this evil, thing. I've opened the door to the strife, which opened the door to all this other stuff. And it has caused me to catch a disease called lack of honor. I want you to know something, I'm big on honor. Because God is big on honor. Heaven is big on honor. And I'm going to run through some things that's not going to make some of y'all happy. Because the Bible is real clear about we're supposed to show honor. Will you look at your neighbor? I have no idea because the timer's not on. I don't have any idea how long I've been preaching, but uh, don't check out on me just yet. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready for this. Yeah, somebody needs to brace themselves, put on a seatbelt, maybe, maybe bubble wrap around their head or something because they're about to have a migraine. Some of y'all's heads are about to explode. Listen, if your neighbor's head explodes, just reach over, pick up what's left, put it back, lay, lay your hands on it, in the name of Jesus. We'll see a miracle. Number one, you got to honor God I thought I might get one amen in the church you have to honor God the first place we're called to direct our honor is to him revelation 5 and 12 said he is worthy to receive honor and glory and praise and without complete and genuine honor to God it will be impossible for you to ever learn how to honor anybody else so honoring God is where it all starts as a matter of fact, this is where every relationship of your life starts. Because it is here that the guardrails get installed for every single relationship. Think about it. Think about why you treat your uh, spouse right. Think about why you treat your children with respect. Think about why you uh, say nice things to your boss. If, the only reason you do that as a believer is because you're concerned about pleasing God. Yeah, Y'all not going to help me So let me just be transparent up here What's stopping you from cheating And lying And mistreating everybody in your life Sometimes the honor that you show others Is simply because You know God don't like ugly And you don't want him to get upset with you. So you try to stay out of the trap. So you show honor to people you really don't want to show. Y'all not going to help me. I show honor to people I don't really want to show honor to. And I don't really think they deserve it. But I know God expects it. And I would rather show honor to them bite my lips and grit my teeth and do what I have to do so God is happy with me and I stay out of the trap. So you have to first honor God. If you turn yourself over in total submission to him, honoring other people will be easy. Some people think they honor God because they they got a t-shirt. And they show up at his house on Sunday. And they got some Christianese language. But there's a whole lot more to honoring God than just exterior actions. True honor can't be faked because true honor comes from the heart. So how do you honor God? Well, His Word is clear. There's three ways. Number one, you honor God in what you say. Probably should have rephrased that. You honor God by what you type. because We don't say nothing anymore. We just type everything. So you honor God in what you say. How do you do that? Words of doubt, unbelief, negativity, grumbling, criticizing, complaining. All of those are dishonoring to God because they fail to recognize what God has done in your life and how good he's been to you also the Bible says let your yeses be yes so if you've made an oath you need to keep your word folks should never wonder about whether or not you are an upstanding person and you do what you say you'll do if you are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords you need to keep your word you honor God number two by what you do John 14 21 says If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's that simple. You'll do what I tell you to do. This is how you behave day in and day out, not just on Sundays. When you deal with people that aren't lovely, when you're out in public, when you conduct business at work, you do the right things. What are the right things? Not what you feel, but what the Word says. That's why I don't argue with people that don't want to pay tithes. Because God says honor me with your finances it's pretty simple I don't have to defend him his word says if you honor me it'll show up Proverbs 3 and 9 says honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase so when you obey God by tithing and giving back to him you absolutely demolish any curse that the enemy would try to put on your finances so I don't argue with people about it. Because, listen, if you're trying to find an excuse to not be honorable, I won't be able to argue you out of it. Number two and uh, number three, you honor God in what you don't do. So you honor God in what you do, or in what you say, what you do, and in what you don't do. There are things that I do not do that aren't sinful. but they're not honorable they may not have sin value attached to them I may have be able to toe the line and well the scripture says that I shouldn't be drunk why do you feel the need to get so close to the line because sometimes I do what I do not because it's sinful but because I don't want to dishonor my father I want to be different come out from among them and be separate so some things I don't do just to bring honor to his name you didn't like that when you won't probably like this one some of you the second person you're supposed to honor according to Scripture is your parents the Bible is incredibly clear on this one it is a very important as a matter of fact God put it in his top ten honor your father and your mother and you know what it's the only commandment that has a promise attached to it if you honor your father and your mother you'll have a long life it's got a promise attached to it and can I tell you that this verse is not just for children can I tell you that God doesn't give an upper age limit on honoring your parents we don't just do it when we're little kids we're to continue doing it as we get older showing honor to our parents you didn't like that one. You didn't like the first one. You surely won't like this one. Honor your spouse. The Bible says in 1 Peter three and seven: husbands show honor to your wives. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter five and verse thirty-three: let the wife see that she respects her husband. Do you show honor to your husband? Do you show honor to your wife? Can I show you what honor does not do? Honor doesn't belittle and criticize. Honor builds up, does not tear down. To show honor for your spouse is to be their biggest cheerleader. I'm not going to get a whole lot of amens in this place. Showing honor for your spouse is putting their priorities ahead of yours. It is putting a premium on what they desire and what they need and what they plan. If you honor them, you take the secondary role so they can be promoted. I knew I wouldn't get no help right there. Can I tell you why? Because you have a covenant with your spouse. The only relationship under heaven that involves a covenant is between you and your spouse it's not your children it's not your employer it's not your pastor it's not your pastor it's not your pastor. I just wanted to make that one clear the only covenant relationship under heaven is between husband and wife that's it which means you have the same three rules to show uh, covenant uh, relationship that you did God how do you honor how do you show honor to your spouse you don't do certain things you do do certain things and you watch how you talk to them that's how you honor your spouse the same three that you had to honor God with you didn't like that one you get away with this one I'll I'll build you back up with this one honor those who are older there has been an alarming decline of respect for older citizens in our nation entire generations have determined that they know everything so they don't have to listen to anybody that's walked that road before. But the Bible says that we're supposed to rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. People that have already went before us, we're supposed to show honor to them. And some of y'all are about to test this next one before I get done, because number five is honor those in authority. And I got three of them. Don't quit on me before I get to the last one because you're going to need the last one to survive the first two. I told you bad blood is a disease. And I already gave you the symptoms. Now now, now I'm telling you what the disease is. This is a disease, and you're going to need the last one to survive the first two. Okay? Do you love me? Because here's what the Bible says. Say this out loud. i say, it's the Bible. I'm glad because I didn't make this up. The first person in authority that you're supposed to honor is your boss. I told you it wouldn't be favorable. This is the purpose of honor. Bible says, "Servants, be submissive to your masters." This is this is you as God's children shining in a world of darkness. There are plenty of people who will dishonor their employers but you need to learn how to honor those who have authority over you now notice that we're to give reverence and honor not only to the good bosses and the gentle masters but also to the harsh and the unfair and the unpleasant because if you can only treat the good boss with favor you're in a trap and and you don't have to stay working there. you do have an option it's called putting in resumes but as long as you work there, if you want to be honorable to God, you've got to show honor to those in authority above you. And you didn't like that one, you're going to hate this one. Because the next place the Bible tells us to show honor is to government officials. Say, it's the word. Uh-huh, it's not me. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let every soul be subject to the governing bodies, for there is no authority except from God, from God, from God, from God. If he's in control, he's in control. Stop with all this foolishness of thinking man's got some kind of thing that's wrapped around everything and dragging it along. If God is sovereign, he's sovereign. And if he's God, let him be God. But let's stop with all this hearsay and conspiracies. that man has limited power God is in control or he's not and if he's not stop the ride and let me off because I'm done if God doesn't have complete control that's why we're supposed to show honor to government officials this is not a suggestion it's a commandment but pastor what about ungodly authority well I'm glad you ask that think about David and Saul David knew he was going to be king but he refused to dishonor Saul to get there because he he knew that one day he would be in that position and David chose to honor the position over the person because he knew that in doing so he was showing honor to his heavenly father and I told you you would need the third one to survive the first two the third one is you're supposed to show honor to church leaders So you're gonna to have to honor me to survive the first two because you're gonna got mad at me so now let me wrangle you back onto my team the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12 honor those who are leaders in the Lord's work it is never acceptable for church people to gossip or criticize or make cutting remarks about a minister not in their church not in another church not anywhere because doing so is disobedient to the Word of God the Bible never says that church leaders will be perfect Just like it doesn't say church members will be perfect. But that does not give us an excuse to dishonor imperfect people. We're supposed to show honor to everybody who has authority over us can I tell you this if you're on a softball team show honor to your coach if you're a if you're a a student show honor to your teacher if you have a mentor show honor to them honor your boss honor everybody that has authority over you even if down deep inside you think you're smarter than them you still need to show that person honor because maybe one day you'll be the boss but here's the problem if you can't ever get it right on this level God can't ever promote you to the next level because you have to learn how to excel under before you can be promoted over. So we got a sickness, we got a symptom, we got a disease and that ultimately leads to death. And what call what what is how do we know that we have died in our relationships? It's a word we don't hear much of death is diagnosed by you don't see the death coming it happens slowly you don't smile as much as you used to you don't look forward to seeing them like you used to you think about them less when you're not around them if you're not careful the bad blood will cause your relationship to die and you diagnose the death by a word called apathy there is something worse than fighting and that something is apathy because you have to care about something to fight And apathy is when you no longer care enough to fight for something. You think the worst thing that happens in your relationship is when you have strife and argument. But at least if you have strife and argumentation, you care enough to fight. When you get to the point where you no longer care, you're near death. Because apathy means I no longer have the strength or the desire to save this thing. Jude tells us that we are to fight for our faith. It's not just going to happen because you said a prayer and show up to church on Sunday. You have to fight to keep it. Revelation 3 and 16 says because you are lukewarm, that means apathy has shown up. You used to be in love with me, Jesus said, but apathy has strangled you. And because you're lukewarm, you're not hot, you're not cold, he says I'll spit you out of my mouth because you're not on fire, you're not excited about this relationship anymore. Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13 says at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and God says I will punish all the men who are complacent. You know what complacency is? It means when you start taking that person for granted and you no longer care about the relationship and you're just living life and bouncing through the relationship, God says that's not good enough for me. I want you to be excited about this thing. Revelation 3 and 2 says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete. He says, Wake up. Church, I came to this building this morning to tell somebody to wake up. You've been trapped in this mess for long enough. Bad blood has been coursing through your veins. You didn't even realize what you were into. You didn't know that you were stuck. But I came here this morning to tell somebody to wake up and strengthen what you got left. It's not too late. if it was too late God wouldn't have brought you to this building this morning but you still got a chance so like any good doctor I would be a derelict in my duties if I didn't give you I've showed you what the symptom is I've showed you what the disease is I've warned you about the outcome so what's the cure the most ridiculous prescription that you've ever been written Seven dips in dirty water. That's the most ridiculous prescription you've ever been written. But in the book of Deuteronomy, God gave Moses a bunch of instructions. And in Deuteronomy 4 and 2, he says, don't add or subtract to these commands I'm giving you. Just obey the commands. Just obey the commands. J- just obey the don't add or subtract. Just, just obey. Do you know why he said just obey? Because sometimes obedience makes no sense. Sometimes obedience sounds like the craziest thing you've ever heard. You mean I'm supposed to pray for my enemies? Come on, God. Have you seen what I live with? You think I'm supposed to honor that man? Do you know what he's done to me you know how He's treated me. Just obey. And a hush fell over the crowd. I'm supposed to honor that boss. I know what he's doing behind closed doors. I know he's cheating with his wife. I know that he mistreats all the employees. Hey, and you expect me to honor, it? just obey. This doesn't make any sense. You think that I'm supposed to come here and put in 60 hours a week and everybody here is dumber than I am and nobody here does it as hard as I do it or as good as I do it. And uh, Just obey. When I got sick and the pastor didn't call, just obey. My feelings was hurt, and My wife didn't. Just obey. My mama mistreated me and abandoned me and left me for to to be raised by wolves. As far as she was just obey. I have a right to this bad blood. I have a right to these hard feelings. Just obey. Nobody was there for me. I had to make it on my own. And and when nobody was there, you were the only. Just obey. Don't add to. Don't take away. Just obey. My commands, can I tell you that anytime you obey, a blessing is always going to follow you around. You will never be good to somebody else without God being good to you. I just wonder how much higher we would be right now, how much farther along we would be, how much more favor God would have given us if we would have just obeyed. Not argued, not try to reason it out, not come up with excuses. God wants us to lead by being supernaturally crazy. He wants us to lead this world by doing things that don't make no sense. Treating people right that refuse to treat us right. Keeping our mouths shut instead of speaking out. Always doing the right thing even when we don't feel like doing the right things. Pay attention to practical things. Because the more tests you pass, the more God can trust you and the more favor He will release into your life. But if God's got to argue with you about everything and make excuses, fight with you while you make excuses, while you don't have to obey, you're going to get trapped. Isaiah said if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. In the Scripture, there was a man named Naaman. He was the captain of the syrian army he was powerful he was a soldier he was rich he had favor but the bible says but he was a leper an incurable disease that's going to cost him his life and before he dies it's going to cost him his fingers and his nose is going to fall off and his ears will fall off and it's going to be disgusting and grotesque and he's got a little servant girl who says hey I know money can't fix this. Therapy can't get you through this. There's no seven steps that's going to cure you. But there's a man of God named Elisha. If you'll go see him, he'll pray for you. And God will heal you. Naaman said, sound good to me. He gets on his horse and he travels a long way from Syria down to where Elisha was. It was a long journey. And he gets there. And Elisha's servant comes out and says, Hey, what can I do for you? I'm here to see the preacher. Tell him to come see me. I need him to lay hands on me. Elisha tells his servant, I'm busy right now. Tell him go down to the Jordan River. dip seven times. He come out and said, Here's your prescription to get well. Go down to the Jordan River. It's muddy. It's smelly. It's undesirable. You go down there and dip seven times. You mean the preacher? I rode all the way up here, and the preacher won't even come out and see me? I thought he'd come out wave his hand over me and heal me. Don't he know who I am? I'm a big wing. I'm a tithe payer. I'll take my tithes and go to the Baptist church. Preacher don't even care enough to come out and see me. Just obey. Just obey, Naaman. Just obey. I, my feelings are hurt. I got bad blood between me and Elisha now. He didn't do what I wanted him to do. There's bad blood. Just obey. Just, just obey. He gets so indignant, he almost missed his miracle. Bible says he got back on his horse and was going to go back home and the little girl said Master, if he'd have asked you to do a hard thing you'd have done it why won't you do the easy thing and God sent me here to ask somebody this morning, why won't you just do the easy thing, you're waiting on God to do great big miracles in your life and he says I can't Let the miracle be released, the favor be released, because you're still holding on to that grudge, that bad blood. You're still holding on to that thing. And if you would just let it go and just obey, you would see the windows of heaven open. And the miracle is waiting on you. You're not waiting on it. And here's what the Bible says, and this is amazing to me, because the Bible says Naaman goes down to the river, and the Bible never says he had a good attitude. Bible never says that when Damon dipped the first time that he came up and went whoo glory to God Shandai Hyundai. Bible never says on that second and third and fourth dip that he had a great attitude that he put on some Kirk Franklin praise and worship Stone. Bible doesn't say that he was speaking in tongues falling out in the Holy Ghost doing Jericho marches it says he was indignant he was hateful he didn't want to do what he was doing. But he did it. I preached all morning to get right here. He didn't want to do what he did. You act like you can't let them go and forgive them until you feel right, until you feel like it. Some of the people you holding bad blood against are dead. They're never apologizing to you. So just obey. You won't feel like doing it, but do the right thing so your miracle can be released. And on that seventh time he came up out of the water and the Bible said his skin was like the skin of a newborn baby and his miracle had been released and hear me I know faith moves God but obedience opens the storehouse of heaven and obedience is what will get you through to the other side and if you've been waiting on a miracle in your life if you've been waiting on a healing in your life if you've been waiting on an emotional resurgence in your life if you've been waiting on God to do something powerful in your life it might be that it's time for you to let that bad blood go and I'm inviting you to come to this altar this morning because I believe there's a miracle waiting for somebody so don't wait on me any longer get up here and just do the right thing do the right thing don't add to it but God they did me wrong don't add to it but God they're killing newborn babies don't add to it but God they don't do me right don't add to it. Do the right thing. Prayer team staff I got some help come up here and pray over these saints in this altar this morning. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. I'm tired of this bad blood. I got to do the right thing. I got to do the right thing. The healing is in the obedience. The healing is in the obedience. Do the right thing.